Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, we've been playing with botanical method aquariums uh, for such a long time now. And during that time, we've pushed out some pretty unconventional ideas, haven't we? I mean, the idea of embracing fungal growths and bacterial biofilms and detritus isn't exactly popular in the aquarium mainstream of the aquarium hobby anyway, isn't it? Now, there's numerous other life forms which are found on these materials, on botanicals as well, which we never really consider, yet are in abundance in nature and perform vital roles in the function of the aquatic habitat. Perhaps to me, the most fascinating and probably rarely discussed in the hobby are the unique freshwater sponges from the genus Spongilla. These interesting life forms attach themselves to rocks and logs and essentially filter the water for various small aquatic organisms like bacteria, protozoa, and other minute aquatic life forms. Now, unlike the better known marine sponges, freshwater sponges are subject to the more variable environment of rivers and streams and have adopted a strategy of survival. When conditions deteriorate, the organisms create buds known as gemmules, which are an asexually reproduced mass of cells capable of developing into a new sponge. The gemmules remain dormant until environmental conditions permit them to develop once again. Now, to my knowledge, these organisms have never been intentionally collected for aquariums, and I suspect they're a little tricky to transport despite their adaptability, just like their marine cousins are. One species, uh, Metania reticulata, is extremely common in the Brazilian Amazon. So, you know, that, you know, raised my uh, radar a little bit. They're found on rocks, submerged branches, and even tree trunks when these areas are submerged and remain in a dormant phase in the aforementioned gemmules during periods of desiccation. They're called tree sponges for good reason. Now, I'm not suggesting, of course, that we go and collect sponges for an aquarium use, but I am curious if they occur as, you know, hitchhikers on driftwood, rocks, or other natural materials which end up in our aquariums. When you think about how important sponges are as natural filters, one can only wonder how they might perform this beneficial role in the aquarium as well. I'm curious, has anybody out there ever encountered one before in your own aquariums? Now think about the possibilities which are out there under every leaf, every sunken branch, every rock. Nature's filled with all kinds of things like this. And it was suggested many years ago in the reef aquarium hobby that sponges can be encouraged to multiply. But sponges are, do find their way on live rock and uh, even on the bases of corals and so forth. They can be encouraged to multiply in a collection of rubble in the sump of a reef tank. In this way, they'd be utilized as a cryptic zone, sort of a hidden uh, area, dark, and they don't need light to photosynthesize, so we call it a cryptic zone, as like a filter. And I've always loved this idea. It was first proffered by a reef aquarium hobby, a hobby pioneer by the name of Steve Tyree back in, I want to say even probably the late 90s, but definitely the early 2000s. And nothing really ever came of it, but I think there's definitely an application for sponges in the freshwater realm as well. Of course, since there are currently no sponges deliberately imported for aquarium hobbies to work with, Perhaps there's other alternatives for 
natural filtration or nutrient processing? Well, of course there are. What about our friends, the fungi and the biofilms? And a bonus, a bigger thought here, one which we've discussed before, but one which bears repeating once again, the aquarium, or more specifically, the botanical materials, which comprise the botanical method aquarium infrastructure, acts as a biological filter system, or I should say the organisms which colonize on the botanical materials. In other words, the botanical materials prov- uh, you know, present in our systems provide enormous surface area upon which beneficial bacterial biofilms and fungal growths can colonize. These life forms utilize the organic compounds present in the water as a nutritional source. This is not a secret, right? Well, the part about biofilms and fungal growths does sound familiar, right? We talk about this all the time. Now, let's talk about our buddies, the biofilms, just a bit more, you know, one more time, because nothing seems as contrary to many hobbyists than to sing the praises of these gooey-looking strands of, you know, bacterial goodness, right? Structurally, biofilms are surprisingly strong, which offer their colonial members sort of onboard nutritional sources, exchange of metabolites, protection, and cellular communication. They form extremely rapidly on just about any hard surface that's submerged in water. When I see aquarium work in which biofilms are considered nuisance and suggestions that it can be eliminated by reducing nutrients in the aquarium, I usually just cringe. Mainly because no matter what you do, biofilms are ubiquitous and they're always present in our systems. We may not see the famous long stringy snot of our nightmares, but the reality is that biofilms are present in our tanks regardless. The other reality is that biofilms are something that we as aquarists typically fear because of the way they look in and of themselves. Biofilms are not harmful to fishes. They function not only as a means to sequester and process nutrients, a a filter of sorts, they also represent a beneficial food source for fishes. They readily colonize leaves and other botanicals. Now, look, I can imagine a few rare scenarios where massive amounts of biofilms relative to the water volume in the aquarium could consume significant quantities of oxygen and be problematic for the fishes which reside in your tank. Those explosions in biofilm growth are usually the result of adding too much botanical material too quickly to the aquarium. They're exacerbated by insufficient oxygenation and circulation within the aquarium. These are really, really unusual circumstances, generally resulting from a combination of missteps by, you get it, the aquarist. Typically, however, biofilms are far more beneficial then they are even remotely detrimental to our aquariums. Nutrients in the water column, even when in low concentrations, are delivered to the biofilm through the complex system of water channels where they're absorbed into the biofilm matrix, becoming available to individual cells. Some biologists feel that this efficient method of gathering energy might be a major evolutionary advantage for biofilms, which live in particularly turbulent ecosystems like streams or, for that matter, aquariums, right? with significant flow, where nutrient concentrations are typically lower and quite widely dispersed. So in other words, big surface area, they spread out and they can catch more of this stuff. Biofilms have been used successfully in water and wastewater treatment for well over 100 years. In such filtration systems, the mechanical medium, typically it's sand, offers this huge surface area for the microbes to attach to and to feed upon the organic material in the water that's being treated. The formation of biofilms on the media consume the undesirable organics in the water, effectively filtering it. So biofilm acts as an absorbent layer in which organic materials and other nutrients are concentrated from the water column. So as you might suspect, higher nutrient concentrations tend to produce biofilms that are thicker and denser than those grown in low nutrient concentrations. Those biofilms which grow in higher flow environments like streams, rivers, or 
Areas exposed to wave action tend to be denser in their morphology. These biofilms tend to form long stringy filaments or streamers which point in the direction of the flow. These biofilms are characterized by a, um, I guess a characteristic known as viscoelasticity. This means that they're flexible and they stretch out significantly in higher flow rate environments and contract once again when the velocity of the flow is reduced. Okay, that's probably way more than you want to know about the physiology of biofilms. Regardless, it's important for us as botanical method aquarists to have at least a rudimentary understanding of these misunderstood, incredibly useful, and entirely underappreciated life forms. And the whole idea of facilitating a microbiome in an aquarium is predicated upon supplying a quantity of botanical materials, specifically leaf litter, for the beneficial organisms to colonize and begin the decomposition process. Now, an interesting study that I found, one of the many that I looked at was by a scientist named Meering in 2014. It was about nutrient sequestration caused by leaf litter, and it yielded this little interesting passage, which I'm going to read to you. During leaf litter composition, microbial biomass and accumulated organic materials immobilize and retain nutrients, and therefore both biotic and abiotic drivers may influence detrital nutrient content. Interesting, right? The study determined that leaves, such as oak in, in this case, immobilize nitrogen. Generally thinking, it is thought that leaf litter acts as a sink for nutrients over time in aquatic ecosystems. Interesting, right? Oh, and one more thing about leaves and the resulting detritus in tropical streams. Ecologists strongly believe that the microbial colonized detritus that they produce is a more palatable and nutritious food source for detritivores than uncolonized dead leaves. The microbial growth, which occurs on leaves and the resulting detritus, increases the nutritional quality of the leaf detritus because the microbial biomass on the leaves is far more digestible than the leaves themselves because of the lignin and all that stuff. So, okay, great. I've just talked about decomposing leaves and stuff for like the 11,000th time here on the tent. So where does this leave us in terms of how we want to run our aquariums? Well, let's summarize. Number one, uh, add a significant amount of leaf litter, twigs, and botanicals to your aquarium as part of the substrate. Number two, allow biofilms and fungal growths to proliferate. Number three, feed your fish as well. It's actually feeding the entire ecosystem, feeding the aquarium. Number four, don't go crazy siphoning out every bit of detritus. Let's look at these points in a little bit more detail. First, make liberal use of leaf litter in your aquarium. I'd build up anywhere a layer anywhere from you know one to four inches or so. Yeah, I know that's a lot of leaves. And initially, when you have a big old layer of leaves recruiting biofilms and fungal growths on their surfaces... Ultimately, it's going to decompose, creating a sort of a mulch on the bottom of your aquarium, rich in detritus, providing an excellent, excellent place for your fishes to forage among. Allow a fair amount of indirect circulation over the top of your leaf litter bed. This will ensure oxygenation and the organisms within the leaf litter bed to receive an influx of water and thus the dissolved organics they utilize. Sure, some of the leaves might blow around from time to time, just like what happens in nature. It's no big deal, really. Don't worry about it. The idea of allowing biofilms and fungal growths to colonize your leaves and botanicals and to proliferate upon them simply needs to be accepted as fundamental botan to botanical method aquarium keeping. These organisms which comprise the biome of our aquariums are the most important components of the ecosystems which our aquariums are. When you think about it objectively, they're among the most important and useful organisms we can have in our botanical method aquariums. Think about how they arrive in aquatic ecosystems and what they consume and how they derive nutrition and what they do for the overall aquatic ecosystem. 
Fungi are regarded by biologists to be the dominant organisms associated with decaying leaves and streams. So this gives you some idea as to why we see them in our aquariums, right? In aquarium work, we see fungal colonization on wooden leaves all the time. Many hobbyists will look in sheer horror if they saw the same extensive amount of fungal growth on their carefully selected, artistically arranged pieces of wood in their tanks as they would in, I don't know, virtually any aquatic habitat in nature. Yeah, yet... It's one of the most common, elegant, and beneficial processes that occurs in the natural aquatic habitats. It's, it's everywhere. Of course, fungal colonization of wood and botanicals is but one stage of a very long process, which occurs in nature and in our aquariums. And as hobbyists, once we see those first signs of this stuff, the majority of us tend to run for the algae scraper or brush or siphon hose or whatever and remove as much as we can immediately and yeah. And sure, this might provide some aesthetic relief for some period of time, but it comes right back because the materials provide a continuous source of food and colonization sites for the fungal growths for a long time. I know the idea of circumventing this stuff is appealing to many people. <coughs> Excuse me. But the reality is that you're actually interrupting an essential, ecologically beneficial natural process. And as we know, nature abhors a vacuum and new growths will return to fill the void, thus prolonging the process. <clears throat> One more time. Again, the, if you think about the role of aquatic hyphomycetes, i.e. fungal growths in nature, it, it'll kind of sort of inform you. Fungal colonization facilitates the access to the energy trapped in deciduous leaves and other botanical materials that are found in streams for a variety of other organisms to utilize. And as we know by now, Fungi play a huge role in the decomposition of leaves, both in the wild and in the aquarium. By utilizing special enzymes, aquatic fungi can degrade most of the molecular components in leaves, such as cellulose, hemocellulose, starch, pectin, and even lignin. Fungi, although admittedly not the most attractive-looking organisms, are incredibly important in nature and useful to us as hobbyists. And they play well with a surprisingly large number of aquatic life forms to create substantial food webs both in the wild and, yeah, in our aquariums. Natural habitats are absolutely filled with this stuff. It's, it's like the whole game here. It's a literal explosion of life, giving materials free for the taking. Yet we freak the fuck out about it when it shows up in our tanks. It requires another mental shift, I suppose, one which many of you have already made no doubt. I certainly look forward to seeing many examples of us utilizing you know, what we've got to the advantage of our fishes. Again, one of the most important lessons we can take away from this is... A truly natural aquarium is not sterile. It encourages the accumulation of organic materials and other nutrients, not in excess, of course, but accumulations nonetheless. <coughs> Excuse me. So other ideas. Imagine, if you will, a sump connected to a larger display aquarium filled with leaves and other botanical materials in which biofilms and fungal growths are encouraged to proliferate extensively. Can you imagine the level of biological support such a mechanism could provide to an aquarium? It's essentially a freshwater, botanically-powered refugium. Look up that term, refugium. You'll find it in aquarium history, particularly in the reef end of the hobby. It's an area where organisms that would otherwise be preyed upon or damaged in the main aquarium are allowed to multiply and uh, for the benefit of the greater system. It's a concept that caught on in the early 2000s, late 90s, and it's always been around in the hobby, but never really, uh, the reef hobby has never really been a huge thing. But I'm thinking about it, though. The refugium, a concept that sort of came and went in the reef hobby, but whose time has never even come in the freshwater world, could yield amazing results. A completely unexplored, or is it, yet thoroughly useful way to manage nutrients and 
more for natural aquariums. The possibilities here are endless. Maybe you don't like seeing all this decomposing goo in your display tank. Maybe you like one of these so-called nature aquariums, but you do like the idea of leaf litter and all that kind of stuff. Put it in the sump, create a refugium, flow water through it, return it to the aquarium. You're getting the benefits of all that natural material and natural process, and you don't have to look at it if you're not into it. Or maybe you are into it. Maybe you keep fishes like cichlids that absolutely will destroy any kind of a, and keep in suspension any kind of leaf litter bed and you know botanical bed that you might have, but you want those benefits. Well, that's the refugium process for you. It works really well. The potential benefits are beyond exciting and the application really couldn't be more simple. Experimenting with a fungal biofilm refugium would be super easy. Stuff like this is truly at the cutting edge in our hobby the true outer limits to what we do and what we do. Keep pushing, stay progressive, stay creative, stay brave, stay engaged, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.